Welcome to Season 1, Episode 14 of Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties. Today, we are the law. That's right. We're talking about Judge Dredd, the British weekly comic that would turn into a multi-film property with results that have definitely been mixed. We're here today to discuss why it's time to revisit our favorite square jawed judge. Before we get back to the streets to patrol Mega City One and deliver some well-deserved justice, we are Joe and Mark, two dudes who love talking pop culture and bringing our passion for our favorite properties to your ears. And after you listen to the show, please like, comment, subscribe, and review. Reviews are very important to the show as we continue to find our audience. We see continued growth with every episode, and we appreciate your support. The show can be found where you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you got here by accident, though, try searching for Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast. And if you're not following podcast websites, you can also find us on YouTube as well as Facebook and Twitter by searching at Digital Dissect One. Our social media sites share more pop culture news and current information. So feel free to join the conversation. We'll also start name dropping our most vocal fans in future shows. So at this point, a law should have been put in place that demanded that a studio made another Dread movie. It's criminal. It really is. Um, like that movie, when it came out, I think really surprised a lot of people with how good it was because it definitely let, I don't say let the dreadness take a back seat, but it was just like a kind of like a good classic, like survive the night sort of movie with Dread as the setting of it. And it worked so well. But I don't think people were prepared for Dread because they were, I don't know if they just were not expecting the reboot or they thought this was somehow a continuation of that Stallone movie from the 90s, but it just didn't didn't pan out. Well, there, there's kind of this, this interesting thing about Dread, right? Like mm-hmm. Dread started off as a, a British comic in 1977. It was a weekly comic and uh, they called the series 2000 AD. So it was, you know, it was always meant to be somewhat episodic, mm-hmm. but I think for the, for the fact that it was overseas, maybe that's why it's had a hard time crossing the pond. Yeah, I think it could be. Um, and this is, if you're not familiar with the Dread, se- uh, the Dread series, it's definitely less in the year 2000 and more <laughs> dystopian. Um, so there's less like <laughs> they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have sold any <laughs> no. any fucking ad space if it was if it was anything like that. <laughs> no, no, it's it's less Metropolis, more uh, uh, trying to think. I don't want to say more Hunger Games because it doesn't involve children doing the dirty work. It's just all all the adults doing it. But definitely well, yeah. definitely dystopian. Well, one of the easiest parallels that I I could draw to Dread, and I think this is why I actually love Dread so much. Uh, as I grew older was basically the tie-ins or the similarities between dread and Mad Max, as well mm-hmm. as like the fallout series and, and, and just the environment around it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like, cause basically whenever it comes to like these nuclear war style of wastelands, mm-hmm. like nobody ever seems to know 
how things happened or or how 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 things happened so quick, right? Yeah, it's all just kind of like after the fact. You're just in the story now, uh, sort of deal with them. Yeah, seriously, it's like Backstreet's back. We're, we're like, hey, we're not going to question it. No. All right, we're like here. we weren't yeah. aware that you went away all that much. It was yeah. like a few years, but we assumed you were still touring because that's what <laughs> bands do. But hey, you're back. Welcome back. This is great. Yeah, yeah, but and and that's really the setting, guys, of of Dread, and not not necessarily with boy bands in all white costumes or anything, but no. It's it's basically a dystopian society that's set up after this this apocalyptic you know uh, event that occurs. Countries are basically beating the hell out of each other. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're we're set up with. There are these things called mega cities, and that's where everybody lives now. It's it's just these these massive cities with mm-hmm. you know tall buildings, fifty stories high. They're full of people. Yep, mega highways, mega yeah. mega apartments, mega shopping centers. Yeah, mm-hmm. everything's got mega in front of it, man. Mega, all of it, like mega buses, which are just buses, but it's like three of them connected, and they just go along. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to question it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm totally fine with it. Saves on marketing, whatever. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, is what it is. But mm-hmm. but yeah, that that's really where I, I think um, dread might have been better served as a property to introduce to us because I think the issue is we, we've got a setting that's not all that crazy for us to try to find a, a commonality with because mm-hmm. like we said we've got all these other properties that have done something like this before coming out of roughly the same era whether it's you know late 70s early 80s at this point so i mean it's not like it's that hard to to get behind what the story is here um i think what the issue with dread is though as a weekly comic i think there's some some heavier handed themes of like fascism police brutality mm-hmm. um you know those types of of topics are really hard especially even now especially now yeah yeah um to introduce to an audience you know mm-hmm. and so i think we'll, we'll we'll get into a little bit of that later but ultimately you know judge dread um became of or well, joseph dread as you mentioned became the most popular character out of the 2080 series um this series was developed by uh, writer john wagner artist Carlos Esquera and editor Pat Mills. Um, and Mills would actually base Judge Dredd on a teacher from his Catholic school. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That, that adds up very easily. <laughs> <laughs> very little imagination if you've ever gone to a Catholic school is required for that. Yeah. Yeah. Everything says mega in front of it in church. If you guys mm-hmm. haven't realized there's, uh, you know, there's nuclear weapons, there's, there's mutants. Wait, wait, wait. I, I think I can mis- misconstrued churches for, the dread uh, the dread universe but nope that, that's right that's what i remember um, oh yeah oh, okay yeah, yeah. but <laughs> ultimately uh we won't name this religious educator <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's that's where the whole background for this character came from uh joseph dread aka judge dread would pretty much become this fascist who believes in the rules no matter what mm-hmm. uh and he rules with an iron fist so yeah I mean yeah. that's that's kind of uh, how the deal of what the judges really are, right? They're uh, they're a one stop shop for justice. Um, they are judged during execution or like right in the street, um, which I don't know is it's it's kind of fun to imagine, but also terrifying to think of if that's like that's what um, justice or like law enforcement were were to lead to. Um, it makes for great fantasy, but a terrifying reality. Um, if you were to really think of it, 
But then again, when you look at what they're faced with, um, how they typically phrase, like phrase it in any any sort of um, movie, comic book, uh, what have you, is that you have more or less you have Mega City One, which is where this takes place, and it looks like it's basically like from Washington D.C. all the way up to like New York City, yeah, and yeah. that is that's Mega City One. And basically the only form of any sort of like law enforcement is the hall of justice. It's one central spot in the whole thing that has to monitor that whole area. So this is what, um, uh, mega city blocks usually contain about 50,000 people per block. So yeah. it's kind of like, well, you know what? Fuck the rest of the legal process. We'll just have judges out in the street and they decide what happens from there. Um, yeah. And that's, that's judge dread. Well, and mm -hmm. in the comic itself too. I mean, I I'm not like a, a dread super fan or anything, but I mm -hmm. I did read some of the weekly comics uh, when I was a kid, and some people would probably say, "Oh, well, now now I know why this guy is as fucked up as he is." But mm -hmm. that's the truth of the of the dread series is that it's a very harsh reality mm -hmm. of of what the judges have to deal with, you know, in these confines. Um, and we talked about the police violence before, but if you've read any of like the early uh, 2080 comics, especially focusing on, on judge dread. I mean, it was not uncommon for them to kill people in the streets. No, I mean, no. Mm -hmm. you, you're seeing it all the time. Um, cause yeah, they, like you said, they, they are the judicial process on two mm -hmm. legs. So they pretty much have to deal with everything as it's presented to them. But one thing I do want to mention about this though, this isn't like civilized society no, by any means. It is not. <laughs> Yeah. When we say mm -hmm. dystopian, we don't mean like everyone's wearing cufflinks and tuxedos and they're, they're living in, you know, uh, all these, these lavish societies here. Like th these are basically 50 story slums. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's what the judges are up against. I'm not saying we're devaluing people here by any means, but no, just no, to, no. yeah, just to paint what you're looking at. I mean, you've got a 50 story building full of probably drug addicts, uh, you know, or, or people who have dealt with some of the radiation, whatever you want to call it. Mm hmm. That's what a judge has to look through that yeah, the helmet they never take off. As as one artist would put it, um, this place is almost as bad as New Jersey. So <laughs> ah, just push the trash within the borders of the state. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a completely unhospitable um environment they are in because again, like you you mentioned it a little bit, like uh with the whole you mentioned irradiated because that's what surrounds the rest of mega city one, like the rest of the United States. And uh, to my knowledge, North America is all just irradiated wasteland. So mm -hmm. it is literally just this last little bastion of humanity um, uh, in the North American continent is right there. And take that, you know, what you will with everything that that entails. And it's a, the last bit of humanity. They're well aware of, the, of that fact. So you get um, the people who can deal with that fact and those who cannot and everything in between. So it's a really, really rough environment. Well, yeah, I mean, in between the, the mega cities, mm -hmm. it's literally called Cursed Earth, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, that sounds right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just called the Cursed Earth where, yeah, it's been ravaged by war and the only things that are there, basically what, what was able to survive throughout all of it. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, you've got you've got mutants who basically you know hate humanity that mm -hmm. uh, that do you know they do take up some of that space, um, and and so that's that's one of those things that I, I, once again drawing on 
influences here that would probably build the fallout universe um, would be some of this early dread uh, time period here. So I always thought it was uh, kind of unfortunate that we didn't get into mm-hmm. that stuff, you know, with, with the dread movie here that we'll be spending the majority of our time with today. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they yeah. barely touch on the mutant thing. And I, you have a lot more experiences uh, with like that storyline with dread because I, I did not read dread growing up. Um, I think I maybe read um, like a five issue crossover that they did with Batman. And oh, cool. that's like my experience with dread before um, the Sylvester Stallone movie, which we won't talk about too much this episode, uh, <laughs> which I mean, to its credit, I thought that movie was cool when I was a kid. But then again, I also thought Godzilla 1998 was really cool when I was a kid. Tells you really how dumb I was growing up. Uh, so when yeah. like I remember like even like seeing like um, ideas for like a webcomic or ideas for a, a potential Netflix series. And they always like ever seeing like basically like a zombie walking around in a judge uniform. And I like that seems completely undread like. But then again, I don't didn't know comic dread very much, which I think that goes into like a part of the mutant aspect of this is what lives outside the city walls sort of thing. Which is a, a good point you bring up here. And we'll, we'll get into a little bit of this, too, as to why dread needs to continue. But ultimately, yeah, these are the parts of the universe that have not been very well explored mm-hmm. in the cinematic universe or the rather the two movies that we've ended up getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we've we've got the mutants that we're, we're not even being introduced to. Um, there's definitely an exploration into, you know, multiverse threads, just like you've seen in the DC universe and the, mm-hmm. in the Marvel universe. Um, that's where a little bit of that comes from that you're talking about, but we'll save that for later. Um, but there's also tropes that we've seen before. Um, there's, there's a, a very early, um, series in, in 2000 AD that involves like a robot revolution, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that we've kind of seen not used a ton throughout, uh, science fiction. Um, except for some of the examples you and I have talked about, uh, throughout this show, um, so yeah, the robot revolution um, is a very early uh, plot thread in this series. So we don't even get to that. Yeah, no, and they what they I think they slightly touch on that in this Stallone movie, because um, you get like the uh, you know the flat top robot that's there that's all like oh no this thing has like machine guns in its knuckles and I think they mentioned <laughs> something about a a robot uprising. This is what's left over from that. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, and once again, like I said, it's kind of a throwaway though, right? Yeah. Like very it's, throwaway. It's a small plot point. Like it's basically there to introduce a character. We're not even a real character. It's just a robot with machine guns in its knuckles. It's hard to kill. So yeah. it's, yeah, just a, like a loose plot point that's brought up. Yeah. But it, this is something I think we need to absolutely address to the, mm-hmm. I believe it's at least seven people that listen to us now. Minimum. The, <laughs> Minimum what, seven. <laughs> Today's conversation is not going to go into uh, Sylvester Stallone's Judge Dredd film. What we're going to be covering today solely falls on the rebooted Dredd from 2012. Um, The reason for that being, for one, we don't want you to have to listen to two hours of us try to do an impression of Sylvester Stallone. Um, Uh, It's harder (laughs) for one of us than the other. (laughs) I will put that out there. Because one of us seems to always lean towards Christopher Walken, not naming names me so i think what we should really do is be very happy carl urban as a human being exists because what he's done for us in cinema in the past like decade 
and a little over a decade has been fantastic. I mean, this guy's been in uh, the Chronicles of Riddick movies. Um, he's been in Lord of the Rings. He's been in Star Trek. He has been in the MCU. Like Carl Urban is just crushing it when it comes to like nerdy sci-fi action. And then we get to 2012 Dread. And it is just perfect because just like the Mandalorian, he refuses to take off his helmet, just like the character is supposed to. And he constantly has this squared off looking jaw, gravelly voice that always sounds angry and it just nails the character a thousand percent. So thank you, Carl Urban, before we go any further with this. <laughs> well, Carl Urban would mm-hmm. would basically play every video game character that you've ever had to play, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like he he reminds me of of Marcus Phoenix from Gears of War. Like, just he 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 basically sounded like he smoked four packs a day since he was like mm-hmm. three years old. You know, just constantly grizzled, constantly angry. Um, and so it's it he he is the it is the perfect character for this type of action movie for sure. But um. Not to be understated, though, we talked a little bit about how how much people like this movie, right? I mean, yeah, it's once again, it's one of those rare mm-hmm. rebooted universes where um, it's got like almost an eighty percent Rotten Tomatoes score. Um, you know, even the critics weren't too hard on this film. No, um, um, yeah, and I think it's again because like it has that um, survive the night sort of setting, and that's because that's basically what they're doing. Um, the movie starts off where you're uh, introduced to Dread, where he's he's busting up some some druggy punks, um, and then it moves into uh, the introduction of uh, Olivia Thirlby's character, Judge Anderson, mm-hmm. and then they get thrust into um, it was Peach Trees is the name of the uh, the basically mega tower that they're in. Yep. And that goes on lockdown. They can't get out. So the goal is they have to make it from the base of the tower all the way up to like the 88th floor where um, Mama is waiting. And that's uh, Lena Headley. You may remember her from such roles as uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, Queen Cersei movie. herself. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's like the basic plot of the movie. It's a good like just straight up like, all right, well, they've got a make it from the bottom of the tower to the top and make it through the night. So it's a simple and believable enough um, consequence because we're like setting uh, without giving too much away. Uh, basically they, they catch someone uh, early on uh, while they're in peach trees. And this is an important person who could ruin all of mama and what she's got running uh, uh, going. So she locks them into the tower and they have to try and then get out of the tower. So it's a simple enough premise. And the parts are all believable uh, between the thugs who are like a part of there of a, uh, uh, and the drug running operation, the people who get sucked up in it along the way because they are more or less like swallowed up by the world they live in. And then of course, the judges trying to make it through. Um, and I think that is a what what made this like do so well is that the plot didn't try overdoing anything. Uh, all the characters were honest for what they should have been, and it just worked story wise and uh, critic wise. Well, it's an extremely action packed, violent film, mm-hmm. right? That's not trying to do too much, like you said. 
Um, the, the survive the night idea for me was very simplistic because, well, really all they have to do is, you know, make it up to the, the top layer, kill mm-hmm. the bad guy and move on. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's as simple a story as it gets when you have, you know, there's a villain, mm-hmm. they're just evil. Yeah, and you need to kill the people that are in between them and you. So exactly, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not too hard. No, not too um, hard. No, and, and that's why I think it, that's why I think this was so easy for it to work with so many different audiences. Was mm-hmm. it's just a head on a swivel type of story where yep. there's a corner, you have to turn that corner, you're not sure what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and there's just constant stress and and unknowing of what's going to occur next other than hopefully our main character surviving but yeah hopefully and what's also kind of great is that this is a movie where if you're a comic book fan you'll just enjoy it because you enjoy the comic book characters um but if you're not a comic book fan it just reads off as like this is the future this is where society has ended up and it's an action movie from that point forward where you don't really need to know a lot of backstory of what's going on just like nuclear war happened this is life these are the police officers now and this is them dealing with it uh so it's one where i think i could imagine like i could i could probably watch this movie with my dad um (laughs) who doesn't give a crap about comic books he's also the kind where whenever you watch any movie he's like well why did they just shoot him right away like well dad (laughs) that ruins the movie but at the same time you know what dread does he just shoots them right away. So my yeah. dad would get behind this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's why I, I enjoyed it so much because this was at a time where, believe it or not, I, I I didn't have that much testosterone flowing through my veins. And I feel like as soon as I watched this, you know, I could I could grow a really shitty beard immediately after watching it. <laughs> just in one sitting, you just sit down and just hair grows everywhere. Yeah, I don't need Rogaine. I just need a little mm-hmm. bit of Carl Urban and some hyperviolence. That's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but I mean, when you when you whittle down the film, though, I mean, even even more than what we've talked about, the we talked about how the Dread Weekly comic or the 2000 AD comic, mm-hmm. you know, has a lot of political, uh, socioeconomic commentary. Um, they do a lot of things that uh, are satire of modern politics, mm-hmm. and so the larger themes of 2080 have almost no existence here. I mean, we're, we're just looking at, you know, good guy kills bad guy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's what carries us through the majority of this film. So I guess on its head, when we're looking at an origin story mm-hmm. for a superhero or a comic property, what have we been used to seeing? Uh, a lot of, a lot of backstory really in development with these things. Uh, a lot of flash, um mechanical arms that have personalities of their own so you have to threaten that you'll be donating them to a community college if they don't start working right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah seriously there you you get uh, in a lot of comic book movies you spend so much time on on these origin stories that you've seen plenty of times before mm-hmm. you know you've got a you got a hero who had to face some type of conflict and they had a worldview that changed because of it you may, it may sound like I'm groaning here, people, but it's, mm-hmm. I, I, I am, I'm tired of the origin story. We are fucking sick of it. We've seen it too many times. Exactly. We know Batman's parents were shot in front of him. We've got that. We can stop yeah. making movies about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's scarred. It's time to move on. Superman, his planet blew up. We, we, we've established that. We know that anyone who knows Superman or just 
like here's the name you can ballpark how he got to earth like we could we can <laughs> we can skim over that go straight into something that's interesting and that's that's kind of what dread does like you get like i think what the opening montage is like a minute of carl urban voicing over this is mega city one this is how people live and then boom done it's time for the story yeah you were thrown mm-hmm. immediately into the action like the dread movie doesn't have time for giving no. a shit about who, who joseph dread's parents were no not yeah. at all and like you said like that uh, a lot of those larger themes or even like the mutant theme is barely explored other than like um uh judge anderson is a mutant in the movie but like she looks fairly normal she just has like psychic abilities where she can read minds and do some mind stuff and that's about it like that's the only thing which is something that was was absent in previous properties um or previous renditions of this property but anyway uh yeah that's kind of it so you don't get a lot of overbearing themes in this movie mm-hmm. uh or a lot of like backdrop you're just like put right into it which is honestly refreshing <laughs> it really is man i mean mm-hmm. i mean i think what i liked the most about this movie was it, it took some familiar tropes okay mm-hmm. so you've already mentioned the survive the night type of idea which immediately the stakes are raised right yes but this is this is also a, an on-the-job training kind of movie too because you know judge anderson or well actually i, I hate to even, she's not even a judge yet no yeah so she's basically going with judge dread because they get called over um, after a, a couple of druggies were literally skinned alive mm-hmm. uh, and then dropped from the highest floor in the building. So that's what they're going there to investigate. And so she, he basically pulls her in with them and, and they go to check it out. Um, so she's not even a judge yet. This is like her, you know, part of her, her onboarding part of her training. Yeah. She gets uh, thrown into the deep end as, as they say, but unfortunately it's all a deep end. <laughs> <laughs> which i've got to say for for some of the comic book movies we've seen out there um this is easily the most violent one i've ever watched oh yes hands down (laughs) you 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 get that right away just i mean you based off of like the way they enforce the law there so we would think like today's modern police officers like they, they carry what a um what is it it's just a nine millimeter um it's not a Glock, yeah. but yeah, just a nine millimeter handgun, uh, which you get in this instead is called the lawgiver <laughs> and which great name to start off with, with a lawgiver. Uh, it's a futuristic weapon where it has like a fingerprint ID. So only a judge can use it. Um, and they can basically have like voice commands for it to call off different ammunition types. Yeah. So this thing has like semi-automatic, automatic armor piercing uh, it has basically a flare gun that's like an offensive like use uh, called yeah. Hotshot, which is a great line in the first part. Something <laughs> called High X, which is just a big explosive X that goes off. Great for breaking down walls or someone's skull in, in a pinch. But yeah, so yeah. you have this basically jackknife of all trades of a firearm that they use. And that's how they dispense justice um, is based off of whatever they want to whatever they want that thing to do, which... We should also say, like, not everything is a killable offense to the judges. Um, if you try killing a judge, then then that's death. That's a life. That's a, that's a sentence there. But yeah. they also have things called ISO cubes, which you don't really see, but we're assuming is just a tiny box you get stuffed in for a duration of time. Uh, but that's basically it. That's 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 justice in a nutshell. Here, it's either a box or or you get shot. 
<laughs> yeah. And, or in the case of, you know, anything that mama runs, there's a chance that you can be injected with a drug that slows down your perception of time and then drop yes. from 50 stories up, mm-hmm. up um, which is a, a very unfortunate way to die. But, but I, I think that's, what's really a, a strength of this movie though. Um, we, we've talked about other movies that do kind of a slow burn, right? Where mm-hmm. you, you learn a little bit at a time. In this movie, there's not really a chance for you to kind of sit down and rest. Like there's no, no. there's no safe points here. <laughs> not really. Like you get you get to a couple points where like the judges kind of I don't even say like bunker down because like they just basically hold up for small portions of the movie in one spot and then have to keep moving because people yeah. are basically um, if they don't work for Mama directly, they realize that like what will happen to that block if Mama doesn't get her way. So you have citizens just pushing the judges like out of the area, like, fuck no, like you get out of here or like you see them actually taking up guns to try and get rid of the judges in the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's, mm-hmm. that's what a lot, a lot of this story involves is that is basically the judges being cut off from, from any kind of support whatsoever. So the stakes feel very high throughout this entire movie because mm-hmm. you're just as helpless as they are. Like they can't get out, they can't do anything. And so the, the periods that they're hunkered down, it's only because they're trying to find a way to call out side of the building, mm-hmm. which, you know, like you mentioned, Mama has completely shut down. Yep. Um, Cause for lack of a better term, this is a 50 story meth lab. Mm-hmm. So she has a lot of things in place that were meant to keep the judges from controlling this area. Yes. Um, which later we come to find out there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, there is. And also this also like, I don't want to say justifies the brutality of the judges, but at the same time, it kind of justifies the brutality, like the necessary brutality of the nature of the judges. Because when you look at it, it is two people basically being hunted by hundreds of people and they have to try and fight their way through this because it's either, either they fight their way through it or they just accept death. And uh, in basically the world they're stuck in, that's kind of the law that, almost has no choice but to exist which is terrifying to think of but that's kind of what they're stuck with and that's why you see like those lawgivers like being like making any one person a one-man army because you watch the judges go through level by level of um just like adversity and they keep like going through and it's to the point where like okay we can see why everyone's afraid of the judges at this point um <laughs> and why why they have to operate the way they do well they're even more afraid of, of judge joseph dread because mm-hmm. he has he's one of the the most violent one of the most successful judges of all time um he was actually given the opportunity to evolve to a higher office and he keeps mm-hmm. turning it down because he just wants to get back to the blocks to patrol um <laughs> so he's so he is literally a i mean he's a one-man killing machine you know to mm-hmm. to borrow the trope of a you know, uh, one Spartans worth five Persians type of thing. Yeah. That's really what he is. And so, um, so I, I think with the idea of the dread reboot, you know, obviously there's a reason why it's very well reviewed. Um, there's a reason why on the on-demand market in the, in the, the non the non-box office market here, it continued to survive and thrive. I mean, people, you know, kind of supported it to the point where it got a cult following. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, what's unfortunate is that, the movie cost about 45 million to make only made about 41 million in theaters. Yeah. The, so, the grosses were just too low. Yeah, just, they couldn't, just couldn't justify a second movie, but we do have on good authority that 
Carlin would probably do it for free <laughs> if given the opportunity. Which, God damn it, we've mentioned it a couple of <laughs> times here, folks. You know, one of the biggest reasons why Joe and I are, are so passionate about the Dread property, especially the Carl Urban Dread, it solely falls on, <laughs> on a YouTube video uh, called Dread the Musical. <laughs> what, <laughs> what this, this, what this uh, YouTube video so eloquently does, and uh, we'll also link this so you folks can... You, you have know. to. You have to watch this. It's... <laughs> It'll make your day. If you enjoy Dread, even in the slightest, and you haven't seen this yet, it will it will make your day, and you won't want to stop watching it. <laughs> well, it, it, it's hilarious, because this this channel, um, I don't know the name of it offhand, but we'll, we'll mm-hmm. definitely link it so you can find it. They've made a bunch of musicals based on movies, and what they actually did so well with the Dread musical was the fact that they're, they're calling out all the things that didn't go right mm-hmm. with the movie in a way that's not insulting. Yep. Um, and yet it also gives you a bunch of reasons and justifications for why the movie should have a sequel. Yeah. And it's cause it is so good. And <laughs> what's even better is that they deliver it as though they're judge dread. So they're singing from the perspective oh. of dread and also like, like he's fully aware that he's a movie, but the fact that they're singing it as dread just really, really <laughs> tops it off. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely perfection. And, uh, so we, we won't ruin that, but that's that's a big a big boost to Joe and I about why we've continued to want Dread 2. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately what happens with this property, right? We've already talked about how there's been two false starts in, in cinema for it. And we have talked about multiple times how Carl Urban has definitely wanted to continue making some type of media with this. So basically, ever since um, the movie came out, Carl Urban has stoked the fire yeah. for, you know, for making this into a TV series. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Joe, I think that might be the best place for Dread to live. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, so then what we have to look at is, is where on TV we want it to live. I, I personally vote Amazon Prime. And here's why. Netflix, I love you. But everything you touch that I've loved, you kind of turned to shit. I'm a little saddened about that. Still not forgiving you for Evangelion, where you just think and say nerve instead of nerve. Like, what the fuck creative choice was that? I don't want him to know what you're going to do to dread. <laughs> well, well, all, you know, all hosting uh, or, you know, funding abilities aside, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it could easily live on, on you know, on, on a streaming service of some kind here. Um, why I think it works better as a TV show than a movie series is because if we've got, let's say, even if we did like a 10 episode series, right. Per mm-hmm. season, 10 hours gives us a hell of a lot more time to flesh out some of the more interesting things that the 2012 movie couldn't do. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked a little bit here about, uh, about the alternate universes, right. Mm-hmm. We've, we've talked a little bit about the cursed earth. These are all things that I think would be, so much better uh, viewing, like to draw in people who may not be huge Dread fans or, you know, to, to basically anchor down a larger audience. Um, this idea of a multiverse works really well in other properties. I mean, we've seen it executed to, you know, billions of dollars with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm getting at here is that in the Dread universe, there is a, um, a, a parallel universe that call, has a guy called Judge Death. So, Joe, when you talked about the idea of like a zombie in a, in a judge outfit, 
that's specifically what this storyline would involve. Ah, all right. Um, so basically, Judge Death is the parallel universe version of you know, like Judge Dredd, if you want to simplify it down. And he essentially has his judges that are acting as the quote unquote horsemen, right? Mm-hmm. So I think this idea works really well if we can try to bring it to audiences because the judges, or Judge Death at least, he, his entire motivation is that humanity doesn't get to survive. He, he looks to humanity and goes, they should not be allowed to live. It's, it's yeah. basically just like your standard Terminator mm-hmm. uh, you know, motivations here. That type of thing, if you, if you set it up properly, I think it could work really well uh, in a larger universe like a Marvel, right? That's it. basically Thanos' whole motivation is cutting the universe in half. Well, I think Judge Death is a little more brutal because he doesn't want to just snap his fingers. He wants to actually kill all of humanity. Like that's his motivation. No. No, he, he's a guy who enjoys the process and not just the end result. I see what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't just want the bacon. Like he wants to find where the bacon lives, kill the bacon, all of its friends and family, Ooh. And, and then not even eat it after he's done. Ooh. I feel like he would also name the bacon right before he killed it. So he could purposely develop an emotional attachment to it just to sever it. <laughs> Like that's, think, that's where judge death is. I think judge death would make someone else name the animal and uh, then kill the animal in front of that person. There we go. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's some pretty heavy handed shit, you know, and I think it would make a, a really solid TV series because of that, you know, cause you can start this off slow, just like we got with this movie, mm-hmm. you know, this movie starts you off in something you've seen a little bit of before. Um, it changes the formula just a little bit. The hyperviolence, obviously, is mm-hmm. what, what puts asses in the seats. But, but this is the type of stuff you could weave into a series and hopefully deliver it better than a Game of Thrones would. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and not to mention, as soon as you hit season five, that's a musical right there. And this is what we've been wanting from the start of it. We could get an actual Dread musical for a whole episode, and that would be beautiful. You know, I, I going back to our supernatural episode, I think you do that when you get to like season 10. You're just fully experimented. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's like it's it's a little ways out there. I'm trying to relax. Really, I remember like I remember uh, what was it? I think it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which you've brought up a few times in the podcast, too. I think that was that made the joke that at season five, everything always does a uh, a musical somewhere in season. Oh, when you get that point. <laughs> I think I'm still drawing from the 90s on that. But yeah, Supernatural did the musical episode much later. Well, and, and like you said, they already have the musical written out. They don't have to do a whole lot of hard work. Not here. a lot. It's just a little bit of adaptation. They pull that little bit in and and you're gold. You're set. And not yeah. to mention, this also leaves like room, like we said, the multiverse. So we could have like pure like buddy cop dread action as opposed <laughs> to <laughs> as opposed to serious dystopia. Well, you got a little bit of that between, you know, Dredd and Anderson mm-hmm. in the reboot movie. I mean, it, it, it's it feels more like stepdad training the son to use a, yeah. a lawnmower, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. but Hey, it, it's still, it's still there. Yeah, know? absolutely. Uh, like uh, there's a, there's a line where um, they're about to go in to a, to a drug bust and dread goes to Anderson. And says, Are you ready? She's like, ready. He's like, you don't look ready. I was wondering how long it takes for you to realize you forgot your helmet. And she's like, Oh, that I left it behind on purpose. It can sometimes interfere with my psychic abilities. It's like, Oh, I think a bullet might interfere with those more. <laughs> Just like boom, buddy cop, like ready to go. Yeah, let's bust those drug lords. And, and that's that's kind of the shame of this. I mean, a, a lot of, I mean, at this point, Joe, 
I would say that Dread went through a process with this reboot similar to what happened when Firefly was on the air and got canceled. Mm -hmm. the, the DVD sales were so tremendous for Firefly that they basically were forced to have to make a movie. Yep. You know, the, the return just didn't, it didn't make any sense to them to just yeah. sit on it anymore. Like, no, people are clearly clamoring for this. Let's give them something they want. Um, so I think that's why Dread still has a lot of life left in it. Um, we've talked a little bit here about the Judge Death you know, side of this they could go through. The mm -hmm. Cursed Earth uh, side of it I think would be even cooler because there's a, a storyline in the comics where um, there's basically this, this vaccine that they have to take uh, to you know, nullify the events or the, the uh, mitigate the effects of you know, some of this post-apocalyptic war uh, life that they're living. So um, long story short, they have to go take these vaccine, uh, you know, the capsules that didn't make it to Mega City One. Mm -hmm. And they have to go out into the wasteland with a special team to go find them and bring them back. So this kind of stuff, like I said, would make a really good plot line in a TV series. Oh, yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, you basically have a lot of the building blocks here of, like I said, major properties that have shown that people do want to support them. So we've talked about Fallout a little bit here. Mad Max would be another good parallel to this. I mean, there's even some Blade Runner, um, you know, crossover in from, you know, uh, plot lines in this. So ultimately, I think there's enough there that you can pull in enough of an audience, no matter which plot lines that you want to pull from 2000 AD and just rely on those best aspects. I mean, there's no reason to leave them in print anymore, right? Like, no. mm -hmm. <laughs> put them on screen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hey, people have enjoyed these stories now for the better part of almost 50 years. So yeah, why not? Why not get them there? Absolutely. Not to mention it again. Like uh, you could probably adapt like completely like non dread tropes to this thing. Cause it's, again, it's more or less like police officers doing things where you could even have very other familiar um, storylines and tropes brought into this that aren't even necessarily just comic book related that could work out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think what you could do with this, Joe, is in kind of how we've repackaged certain societal tropes into series like the Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm -hmm. You could do the same type of thing here, right? I mean, you could bring some modern concepts to updating this series. Obviously, we mentioned before the concept of police brutality has changed so much just in the last few years. I mean, you could you could definitely find a way to update that and make it relevant here, too. Um, that kind of stuff could definitely live on. I think what the the biggest thing we need to focus on with anything related to Judge Dredd is to keep Carl Urban involved yes. at all costs. Mm -hmm. No matter what we do, he needs to be involved in this series because of how enthusiastic he's been about it. I mean, he's consistently given us little crumbs along the way that's coming back. You'll get more of it. Mm -hmm. And we're still not there. Not at Dread 2 yet or Dread the series. And we need one of them, if not both. We should be on part three, Joe. Yeah, we should. I mean, if Thor and Iron Man have gotten them, why not Dread? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> ultimately, I, I think we've hit the nail on the head quite a few times here with this series, or at least with this movie, that I think if we brought this forward, like imagine if Dread got made today. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have to worry about trying to, to upsell any of the things that we've just talked about. No, I don't think so either. I think after, like, again, the cult following that was established, uh, 
after the 2012 movie that if you tried bringing it out now, like you would have something bigger on your hands. Um, whether again, you do that through a TV series or through uh, another movie, I think it's a win to try and bring this franchise back again with Carl Urban attached to it. Because if you do that, like you're going to get the same audience that did enjoy the movie plus all of their friends that they've been raving to this movie about who didn't see it in theaters and now regret that they didn't see it in theaters. Um, it would be great. And like, yeah, again, like pay that man, Carl Urban to be dread one more time. If not multiple more times, he deserves it. Yeah. And seriously, at minimum. Um, I mean, I think it, it would make a fantastic uh, style of, of drama slash action um, because we haven't even gotten into some of the things with cloning. Cloning is mm-hmm. a very big part of the series. And so um, I don't know if you ever watched the Fox show Almost Human that also coincidentally starred Carl Urban. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't watch it because I saw previews and like, this is really good. It's going to get one season and Fox is going to can it. And I can't, I can't attach myself to something like that again. And lo and behold, it got one season and it was so good. Fox canceled it. And unfortunately, Joe, it's a, it's a show that I stuck with from day one. Uh, <laughs> ironically mm-hmm. enough, it would come out in 2013, the year after the dread reboot began. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, unfortunately, I don't want to get into a, a non dread topic here, but almost human is probably the closest thing we're going to get to this idea we've talked about. Um, Cause it, it involves the whole buddy cop thing mm-hmm. and involves a, you know, a, a future, um, mm-hmm where things have changed quite a bit with regards to how police handle things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for those of you that have stuck with us so far and, and absolutely want more dread, if you haven't seen almost human, <laughs> definitely mm-hmm. give it a shot. It, it actually in, investigates and, and digs into a lot of the same things that ironically enough, the whole 2000 AD series focuses on. So if you, if you need something to hold over, that, that fix you have known as needing more dread. Um, this will probably be the closest thing you'll get to it. Yeah. And when, and when you say that this is a close thing to dread, I was thinking like actual, like the future of law enforcement, in which case that's a good thing. Again, um, while it's fun to see as a movie, actual like judges walking the street and just deciding that what you did deserves death. Bad idea. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not a yeah. not a future that I want to live in. I would, I'm sure. I'd prefer not to be there. No. Thank you for joining us as we broke down Dread, a property that has had two unfortunate false starts that truly has a ton of value left to offer if it's handled properly. If you enjoyed this topic, why not mention the show to people who may enjoy it as well? As we mentioned often, please comment, subscribe, and leave a review. This is critically important to helping our show continue. We love our listeners, and we'd love to keep bringing you more content. And as a bonus, those who leave a review will be mentioned in future episodes. That's right, both of you. Well, hey, join us next week as we stay within the wastelands but on a completely different planet, the inhospitable planet of Pandora. That's right, we're headed to Borderlands, the Gearbox property that mixes comedy, violence, and more weapon options that one person should rightfully be allowed to have. 
Borderlands isn't just a great video game series, but a future movie as well. We can't wait to share our thoughts with you. Until next time, keep on dissecting.